0: Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us, and enjoy the service. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of John, the book of John. I got a lot of ground to cover. You listen fast, I'll talk fast. Amen. Amen. Good crowd today. Anybody visiting for the first time? First time, anybody? Good to see you. Thank you for coming. Good to see you all. I think there's some in the crying room, too. Uh, y'all are, I hope you'll stay for the dinner and uh, find me downstairs. I want to hug you and, and get to know you a little bit more. Um, there's also, by the coffee bar right back there, there's a QR code, and it will be on the screen in the lobby. Uh, if you scan that, if you're visiting, fill that out, and we'll send you a gift card to Starbucks for your, for your visit, and uh, it'll give us uh, a way to collect your information and sell it to all these third-party callers. <laughs> Amen. Good news for us, we make money. Bad news for you, you'll get a new extended warranty on your car. Amen? (laughs) Just kidding. We don't sell your data. Um, Amen. Book of John. Man, this is going to be a good series. Uh, And I don't say that because of me. I'm just saying, like, I have really enjoyed digging into just the beginning part of this. We started it in senior Bible study, and I told them, I was like, oh, thanks, Don. I told them, I was like, man, this is really good. I think I'm going to um, do this series next in church. And they were like, all right, that's cool. So we're like, maybe, where are we, Miss Joan? Maybe chapter chapter six. So we're a little bit ahead in there. But of course, when we do it, you know, as far as a series, we're going to take our time a little bit more. We're reading faster in there and we're going to dig into uh, the content a little bit more. So. Uh, we'll start off in verses 1 through 3, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, and once again, this is going to be a, a, a an interesting study if you've never looked at it this way, if you've never seen kind of what's beneath the text. Let's see, what time is it? 11.08. My timing's all off here because, you know, usually it's 9 and 11, so I'm trying to think. It doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter. Okay, all right, amen. Goes, you don't really, we're staying here to eat, so it kind of is what it is. My wife's like, you know, you really need to get your messages down to 35 minutes. I said, okay. She already helps me ride them, you know what I mean? So there's that. You guys didn't believe that one at all. <laughs> but I was like, look, two weeks ago, I'm telling you, two weeks ago, it was shorter. I know it was shorter. And she's like, no, it wasn't. I'm like, yes, it was. It was shorter. And then last week, it, I felt like it was a few minutes shorter, shorter. Cody's sitting there on the couch. This is during staff meeting. Her and I are having a, uh, what, is it, what is it called on, on Bluey? Anybody know? We're, uh, what is it, what is it on, on Bluey? If my kids were here, they would tell me right away. Squabbling. If you watch, nobody watches Bluey? Kyle watches Bluey. Who watches Bluey? Come on, I need to know who my people are. Thank you. Oh, my goodness gracious. And if you don't watch Bluey, you should watch Bluey. Bluey is amazing. I mean, it's like, it's Holy Spirit filled. Bluey is, it is scriptural. It is, and I'm serious, it is a great show. It's amazing. You should watch Bluey. But they call it squabbling. And uh, Bluey, they're blue healers in Australia, right? It's a family of blue healers. And Banda is the man. He is goals. He is dad goals for sure. But anyway, when him and when Banda and uh, Chili, who's the mom, when they fight, it's called squabbling, right? So anyway, my wife and I were squabbling in the the staff meeting. And I said, I'm telling you, two weeks ago it was shorter. And she says, Cody, go to YouTube. And he's smart, so he's obedient. And he did what he was told to do, (laughs) which is what I do. And so he pulls up YouTube, and she says, read how long two weeks ago a message was. And he was like, he looks at me, and I was like, <laughs> don't do it. And he goes, 54 minutes. <laughs> and I said, what about, or she said, what about the week before? 55 minutes. And then last week, 56 minutes. <laughs> I was like, man, she was right again. She was right. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm in recovery for preaching too long. My name is Matt, and I'm a pastor. Amen? Amen. So, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'm a mess. But I have caffeine. Amen? The prologue in this book is, so if you look at it, I don't know, look, and, and I hope you came, how many came ready to learn something this morning? Amen? I hope you're ready to learn. I hope you're ready to dig in. I tell folks all the time that our new believers, read the book of John. Anybody else do that? When, when someone is growing in the Lord and they're starting that phase of, you know, maybe transitioning from a new believer to prayerfully a Christian, prayerfully a follower of Jesus, I'll often say to them, go to the book of John. Read the book of John. It, he was, uh, you know, literally the one closest to Jesus. His account it was just unreal. It's, and I always knew it was different. I've grown up reading the Bible, and and I've known reading the book of John, it's a different experience than the other synoptic Gospels. Um, You know, if if you think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then what? John, John, four Gospels in the New Testament, we're reading the fourth Gospel, uh, and and this Gospel does have a different feel, it has a different vibe, and so often we, I would tell, and I'm sure some of you would tell a new believer the same thing, read the book of John, Um, but Altogether, when we look at it and we study it and we find these differences, I I think that you'll find them interesting. Uh, I didn't know that, thank you, uh, I didn't know that this was largely debated. The beginning part of of this book, many people think, uh, I should say many people did think, it's not as much, uh, it's not as widely accepted today, and I mean, for the most part, I didn't even really know about it, uh, or I hadn't engaged with this too much, but uh, they think that the prologue, it has a feel of, a, of an old hymn, and that it was a hymn written by someone else, and it was added after the fact to the letter to provide clarity for John's perspective. Uh, and when you read it, it, it is, I could get that. It's, it, it's other passage that kind of looks and feels the same uh, as far as the content in the beginning of the prologue is Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God, does anybody know the next phrase of that? created the heaven and the earth, right? It's the creation account in Genesis 1. And, and if you have studied or read into Genesis, you'll know that that is a song. Uh, the way the Torah would have read and those that those Israelites, as they would have accepted it back then, it would have been something that they would have sung. Uh, and there's a rhythm, there's a meter to it. And God said that it was good, and God said that it was good. It's a, it's a rhythm. It's uh, poetry, if you will, in that sense. Uh, And the book, you know, the book of John starts in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And that'll be all that we uh, get into today. Uh, But it has the same feel of the Genesis creation account. And it's found in a gospel, uh, which is so interesting. To think about the others, if you read Matthew and Luke, it's going to start with the birth of Jesus and the genealogies and where he came from and how he was tied or tethered right to Uh, the Jews. And so we're reading and we're studying uh, Exodus, right? And we've been through that. And we're looking at Hebrews and how Jesus is the high priest. He's the sacrifice. And we're connecting ourselves, the new covenant with the old covenant. We're not abolishing the old, we're fulfilling it within the new. We're not doing away with, it's not like we're, I've heard some pastors say you should unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. That's a bad idea. That's, that's like saying this is the framework, right? Uh, we're going to go over here. We, we laid a foundation for our new house, and we're going to go build on the dirt that's over here. That's really stupid, right? Uh, it's not going to last long. And we could go back to the three little pigs analogy, right? That's a great story. Uh, but it would be essentially a house of sticks without the foundation. And the, the New Testament, the new covenant without the old covenant is a house of sticks without a foundation, the Old Testament lays that foundation. It shows. It points the way, as Paul said in Galatians. It points the way to why Jesus came, why the gospel, why the good news. Why is it even good news? Uh, the Old Testament spells that out, and it gives us that story, the foundation for that story. But going to Matthew, it's it's you're just reading the genealogies. You're reading the beginning, uh, the life of Jesus, and and you know, for all practical purposes, if you read the other gospel accounts. You would think that Jesus' ministry was about a year, uh, looking at the genealogies and how it plays out and when he comes into his ministry, the baptism of John and on. But John focuses on his ministry, and that's primarily where he lives. It's, you, you won't find the genealogy in John. Uh, the beginning stages, the birthplace, Bethlehem, all of that, it's not there. It's more focused on his ministry, and because of that, we know that his ministry was about three and a half years. Uh, so it expounds on that, and there's pieces of it. And I think this is important for us to understand uh, within the context of Scripture that we are, uh, uh, we got more coffee coming in. How about that? Don't get up during service, though. And I'm going to say this right now. Silence your phones, all right? Pull your phones out real quick and silence them. Last week it was like, bloop, 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 <laughs> It was a lot, all right? Silence those puppies because I'm on a roll here. Uh, all right we're having fun. Amen. So we see that he focuses, John focuses primarily on the ministry of Jesus. And then from that account, we figure out that it's about three and a half years. So when you're looking at these gospels, it's not about finding where they differ. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I talked to some folks about the Bible. Um, I bought one, a, a fellow a Bible this week, uh, somebody that I do jujitsu with. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about it. And, and I think that sometimes people are reading it or they're new to it and they think, man, there's a lot of contradictions, right? And, and they don't understand and they haven't been reading scripture for a while. Um, we don't have to be condescending, right? Or make them feel ignorant or any of those things. It's just merely an explanation. It's like, hey, this is somebody else's perspective. If I told the story and Mike told the story, we'd have two different stories, right? <laughs> I don't know whose would be better, you're a pretty good storyteller, you you know? Uh, But the point is, is if you have like a military guy, chief warrant officer slash interrogator, you know, his is probably going to have details that mine doesn't have. I'm going to be talking about like the ice cream truck that drove down the street. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Mike's going to be like, okay, here's the substance of what Jesus was teaching. Two totally different things. And they would, both would be right. It's not to say that you know, Mike's account and my account, because they differ, they're contradictory. No, they're compliment, they are complement each other. Uh, Complementary. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. Woo-hoo. My brain is like on hyperdrive. I feel like I just got a Neuralink installed five minutes ago. Amen? We're doing good. How many are getting it? Anybody? We're having fun. Amen. Uh, but the point is, is he has a different story than I have. It's not about, and that's exactly what it is. It's an eyewitness account. So it's not about them contradicting contra- oh my, <laughs> y'all pray for me. It's not about them contradicting each other. It's about their perspective. And the more we get to know who John was, the more we study that and go, what was this guy like? What was his perspective? What did he believe? Why was he so close to Jesus? The more we figure out about him, the more we're going to get from this account. The more we're going to walk away and go, oh my goodness." I'm seeing it. So on that note, this is believed to be written between AD 85 and AD 90. So if you think about it, right, in the year of our Lord, if the time frame was built around Jesus' life, B.C., before Christ, A.D., in the year of our Lord, however, you know, and I know people are trying to rewrite history. Jesus didn't exist. Oh, okay, and our whole time system and count is all built around his life, but he didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, of course not. Anyway, uh, so 85 years, this is, you know, if he was a little bit younger than Jesus, which we think he was, um, it's still 85 years after Jesus's birth. So if you think about that, he was an old man, right? So 80, 85 to 90, we believe written from Ephesus. Now, for for those of you that are Bible scholars and, you know, biblical geeks, some of this is going to be really cool for you. If you're like, man, I really don't care about this, hello, come on in, God bless you, amen, silence your phones, just kidding, (laughs) there's fresh coffee right back there. Uh, For some of you that, you know, you've been walking with the Lord a while, some of these things should stick out to you like they did me, and I was like, oh man, that's interesting. Uh, Is there a seat? No, let's find them a seat. If we can scoot in, uh, they need five seats. Okay, we're good. One, two, three, yeah, all right, Perfect. Thank you, Ellisons. What a blessing. Can anybody see why we need a new building? Okay. And there's quite a few folks missing this morning. Hey, Amen. I see you online. I see you. Just kidding. I don't see you actually. Written between 80, 85 and 90 from Ephesus after the destruction of Jerusalem in 8070. And before John's exile to the island of Patmos. So this was written before Revelation. And probably. Close, like, pretty close to that time before he was exiled. Um, The Gospel of John contains no references concerning where it is written. But according to the earliest tradition of the church, John wrote his gospel from Ephesus. So the church at Ephesus had been founded by Paul on his second missionary journey in AD 52. So if you think about that, founded in in 52, and we've got some 30 years later, this church was established, right? Right? The church grew under the ministry of Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, Acts 18, 24 through 26. Paul returned to Ephesus on his third missionary journey and had an incredible ministry there. Later, during his first Roman imprisonment, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, about AD 60, and the church is described in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We don't know how old John was when Jesus called him, but assuming that John was a little younger than Jesus... John would have been in his 80s when writing this gospel. Quite old for a time when the life expectancy was much shorter. And considering the fact that all the other apostles had died as martyrs, John was indeed the church's elder statesman. We can imagine him teaching and counseling the Christians in this well-established church as well as doing some writing. So does that give you a perspective like what we're reading is from a man who was with Jesus, one of his disciples, one of the twelve, John. You know, the inner circle of the disciples, very close to Jesus. But this is something that he's writing about in his 80s. What, what he's thinking about is something that he is, I mean, at this point he's had years to, to mold it over, to think and muse and ponder. And then thinking about some of the others that have already passed on or uh, been killed. The destruction of Jerusalem has already taken place. Thinking about uh, some of the other gospels and the other works that have been written. And he's adding to this uh, really circulation of letters. And he chooses to write from this perspective. So I think for me, the big thing is that this is deliberate. It's very deliberate. He's thought this through. And from his perspective, uh, he he is not only reaching new believers, new converts, he is trying to deepen the foundation of the ones that have been in this well-established church. So this is a really, really good uh, perspective here on the book of John. Okay, the book of John uniquely, we're just laying some groundwork here, where there are parables in the other synoptic gospels, there are none found in the book of John. Jesus isn't going to give these parables. Matthew and Luke begin with the birth of Jesus, and John begins at creation. Transcending, watch this, a Jesus that is very much a part of the Godhead and present at creation. And the the majority of the the message today is going to be about that topic uh, in particular. John portraying miracles such as water into wine, the unforgettable interaction with the Samaritan woman, and the Pharisee Nicodemus that came by night are exclusive to John's gospel. They're only found in the book of John. He is acutely aware of Paul's writings and efforts, and in this volume, beautifully weaves his very own eyewitness account in the life of Jesus with a robust understanding of New Testament theology. Uh, We're going to see, and and this is so interesting to me, uh, how he positions his theology with Jesus and who Jesus was, and he's going to put it against a backdrop, of ancient Near East understanding, of, of Judaism, of the law. Why? Because that would have been Paul's perspective, right? And so just kind of like looking at the hyperlinks, if you will, or we could call it the breadcrumbs, the the link the uh, linguistic differences and the things that he chooses to use, this word that stands out, right, that John decides to use in the beginning. And the prologue, right, of of his book, it connects on on so many levels. And we're going to see that and we're going to expound on that. And I think, too, like, look, if you go and you read into this, um, all of the hate that it gets, uh, you know, I, I think to me it makes sense, right? When you see someone attacking something, attacking a literary structure, attacking a word or the definition or how this fits into the puzzle of the word of God, to me, it's almost like uh, that should raise awareness for us. There's a reason why people are attacking it. There's a reason why people are trying to poke holes in it, because it's meaningful, because it makes sense, right? Uh, so we're going to see that. And so uh, what I'm saying in the, the perspective where I land on this, and I'm going to show my cards at the end uh, throughout the message and then definitely at the end is, um, you know, it's definitely something that folks debate and, and go back and forth on. But I think it's clear. So thinking, considering all of the things that we've talked about thus far, our text, let's read it again, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the, it's capitalized, what's the next word? <laughs> In the beginning was the? And the? Was with God. And the? Was God. So capitalized word, it's logos. The Greek word behind this word Or for word is Lagos. In the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God. And the Lagos was who? Was God. Verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him was not one thing. uh, I'm sorry. And apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. An excerpt here from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. John's Theology. One theory for the origin. Now, this is just a little bit of uh, higher learning stuff in there. And I think it's important. might not be for all of you, but don't, don't shut me off. Oh, he's reading from a dictionary. Wake me up when he tells another joke. No, stay with me. This is important. John's theology. One theory for the origin of the Lagos concept in the Gospel of John comes through the evolution of Christological thought apparent uh, in the Johannine context, which just means the epistles, the things that John wrote. After working through the creation of the letters and the text of the fourth gospel, wherein the focus is repeatedly on the Christ as the revelation of God, the fourth evangelist may have written the prologue, this is John, as the fruition and capstone of all his thoughts on the person and work of Jesus, and I agree. He, he takes the, the introduction of this book, the first 18 verses, and really the last two, and we're going to see that. And it's this beautiful capstone, it's this beautiful introduction where he says, I'm, I'm literally showing you all of my cards, Jesus meant so much to me. I had such a deep connection with the creator of the universe. And this has been years of my life. Years. It's literally my life's work. What I have poured myself into has revealed itself to me to be a deep connection with the God of this universe. And his name is Jesus. And he decides, he chooses this word, logos, to use. As this theory takes the thought process of the evangelist seriously, it is elegant and plausible. However, it does not uh, actually answer the questions regarding the origin of the concept, as the evangelist must have had some original semantic range for Logos. So there there has to be something else there that maybe we're not privy to. Now, here's some alternative perspectives. I had to throw these in there because they're so cool and they're great. Uh, I think this is neat. And I, I, I think that several of these things could be true. H- how many understand that? John could have multiple lanes of thought going as he brings all of these things together and he gives us this beautiful prologue, this beautiful passage of Scripture. Look, you can't just quote John 3.16, right? I mean, you can. Like probably the most famous verse in the Bible comes from John, and we just quote it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you, as a student of Christ, can be connected with him on a deeper level, the same level that John was on, but we have to do the work here in the beginning. An alternative perspective here. There was an old, profound, and melancholy myth regarding capital W, wisdom. Now, uh, in Scripture, you'll find, in some of these things... Um, Maybe they don't make sense to us in our culture. Uh, How many, are folks cold? Anyone cold in here? If you're cold, raise your hand. If you're hot, raise your hand. If you're just right, raise your hand. Ooh, let's turn, let's make sure the heat's on. Yeah. The heat's been on, chill, y'all. Something's blowing right now, I can hear it. I'm just saying, more people are cold. I'm up here in short sleeves, I don't want to hear it. I've been up here boiling the last few weeks, so hence the short sleeve shirt. Mm. Anyway, back on track here. You'll see words like death capitalized, wisdom capitalized, and what we need to understand is the ancient Near East and the authors of this were paying homage to folks that personified those words. So, Stay with me. An old and profound melancholy myth regarding wisdom. It combined two primordial experiences of man. The first is that this world in which we live was created by divine wisdom. So, regardless of whether or not you believe this or not, is not necessarily important. What's important is that you understand this is what they were thinking. Do you understand? What, what was in the mind of those that were in the Roman Empire during that time? In the minds of those as it was to the Jew first, but then also to the what? The Greeks and the Stoics, right? And Aristotle and Plato and these folks that were, uh, their writings were, were there and they were prevalent. What, what did people believe then? That's what is important. Why? Because this is the time period that Jesus chose to reveal himself. It doesn't matter what they believe back then. What matters is how this is relevant in English now. That is dumb. That's absolutely ignorant. Well, pastor, that's not very nice. Well, it's not very nice for them to lie. Right? The, the idea is that Jesus didn't choose to reveal himself in 2023, 2024. God, I'm behind. I really am. And the coffee's not doing it this morning. If he did... There'd be stuff in the Bible about, like, iPhones and, I don't know, about, you know, AI and, you feel me? There'd be stuff about today and how this relates to man. And people in 2,000 years would be like, what is he talking about? Because who knows where we're going to be in 2,000 years. But it's, it's up to us to go back to that point in time in history and say, what did they believe? What did they understand to be true? So this is something that they would have understood or known. There was an old profound melancholy myth regarding wisdom. The world in which uh, we live was created by divine wisdom, capital W. Wisdom was at the side of God from the beginning. And when he began to create, wisdom served him as a supervising architect. For that reason, everything could and would be truly good. At this point, the second primordial experience comes into play. Man shuts himself up against the divine wisdom. No one anywhere wants to know anything of wisdom. Capital W. It's personified. Wisdom is not just an intellectual experience. It is a person. Do you see it? That's what they're saying. Um, No one anywhere wants to know. So wisdom has to wander always further since no one wants to accept her. You ever read in the book of Proverbs where it talks about this lady wisdom? It's because it was a known fact in that time that people believed in this personification of this. It was always a feminine gender, this lady wisdom. Watch this. Oh, man, we're going somewhere with this. So wisdom has to wander. The outcome is always this, a melancholy outcome. Wisdom returns again to heaven. The Christian hymnist was able to understand this story. On the basis of 1 Corinthians one twenty one, we know that Christians told this story. God, first of all, endeavored by means of capital W, wisdom, to bring men to the knowledge of him. But this endeavor was a failure. Then God undertook to redeem his own by the foolishness of the proclamation of, of the crucified Christ, who was nevertheless the wisdom of God. The hymnist thereby discovered the way he had to go. He needed only to substitute the masculine logos for the feminine wisdom in order to create a coherent poem. Here's the hyperlinks, the breadcrumbs. We see Paul using this. Here's from Paul, 1 Corinthians 1:21 through 25. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased. Here's the same passage that was quoted in that. God, uh, those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for the sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the what? Wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So in in the prevailing context of folks believing that wisdom was a personified, essentially a deity, and in some Jewish writings, it is a created deity by Yahweh. It's not like it was a higher being than Yahweh, but it was definitely This personification of wisdom, wisdom was there at creation. And here's what Paul does. Paul says, look, I I now have this understanding that is broader, that is deeper, that is wider. How does he have that? Paul had an amazing, miraculous conversion. Not only did he have an amazing, miraculous conversion, he himself was caught up into the third heaven. Paul had experiences that were literally out of this world. Paul's 13 letters reveal to us more of the truth in the gospel to me than any other except maybe John. Right? And so we get this understanding. Why is Paul saying this? Paul is saying this because in the day, in that day and age, they were like, yeah, wisdom was present at creation. And what does Paul say? Paul says, let me explain to you who that character was, that wisdom character. The one that you've been taught from a kid, it's not a she, it's a he, and his name is Jesus. More from the New Testament precedent of a deity living alongside God and still maintaining a monotheistic perspective. Philippians 2, writings of Paul 6 through 10, who existing, I'm just, we're just laying some groundwork here. Y'all okay with that? Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> Man, amen, smells like coffee in here. Mm. Philippians 2, 6 through 10. Maybe you're like, Pastor, what the heck are you talking about? That's okay. You'll get there. Amen? We'll all get there together. Philippians 2, 6 through 10. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when uh, he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of, at the name of, that's right, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Watch this, the beginning. Who existing in the form of God did not consider it equality with God as something to be exploited? Here, here's what we, hopefully will have a full, not full, but somewhat put together understanding of God and the Trinity and seeing the Trinity present. If you're in Judaism, there was this two powers in heaven idea concept, right? It's not foreign, it's not completely foreign, but here's what I'm saying to you, church. Many will read the book of John today and somehow they'll come out on the other end and go, Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was a good man. Yeah, historically, he probably existed. But what does that mean for me? Look, it means everything. It means everything, not just for you, but for all humanity. Why is that? Because John, John chose to write this prologue and say, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning, he uses this word that characterizes someone that transcends, not just a human being, not just someone that was born in Bethlehem, but someone who existed with God before any other human being existed. Before anything, even in uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see this moment of creation, but... In John, he takes it a step further. He goes, further beyond where even Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the logos, was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not talking about creation. I'm not talking about heaven and earth. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. I'm not talking about you and I. I'm talking about God, and before there was anything, there was God, and God was there, and He existed in a community. It was the Father, it was the Son, and it was the Holy Holy Spirit. This is not about us. It was always about God. And before we are ever even entered into the equation, in the beginning, God created Genesis. And John said, no, that's not good enough. In the beginning was the existence of the one that controlled everything. And it's not just this wisdom character. I'm going to use a word that's elevated above wisdom and I'm going to give it a masculine gender so you understand that I'm doing something linguistically that is far above the normal. I'm at at an age where I don't care anymore. I've seen many of my friends and disciples that have been been, uh, killed by the sword or in the fire that have given their lives for Jesus because they know he was who he said he was. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this word as the word as the manifestation of God the logos it carries so much weight and I want you to know that 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 God supreme being was present at creation and not only was he present at creation look at verse 3 all things came through this member of the Godhead the son the logos though 1 Corinthians 15, 28. I'm oscillating between John's words here and Paul for a reason. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him. So that God may be all in all. Look, church. Jesus doesn't. Please silence your phones. Jesus doesn't assume this role and take it and say, I'm the ruler. Jesus steps into the role that was agreed upon in the Godhead and returns all glory and power to the Father, the supreme being of the universe. How how is that possible? Well, that is how we are still, there is one God. How is this working? Like it's still one God, but yet it's three. I know it's like mind-bending. I think the Bible project does some really good job, there's a really good job of putting some of this in perspective, but I want you to see it in terms of authority. Jesus doesn't say, look, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In one place he says to Paul. And the other place, Paul says, look, he returned authority. In Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus say, My father works and I work hitherto. I must be about my father's business. So even in their structure, he is absolutely God. Make no mistake. He is a member of the Godhead and, and given another word called the word, called the manifestation of God, the logos. But even in that role, they return authority to a supreme being, the father. Man. But if you make the mistake of saying Jesus was just a man, he wasn't God. You're going to miss the whole thing. I think the big difference, too, it's like I was watching an interview, I think it was last week, a Jew and a Christian were going back and forth. And the Jew accepting, you know, Yahweh, obviously, and all of the commandments. And I think, too, there's plenty of room for nuance. In, in, in the evangelical church, a church like ours, you know, many times it was preached that Jews are, are, they believe they're saved by works. And we believe that we're saved by grace through faith. I don't think that that's entirely accurate or fair to them. I think the big difference between them and us is they don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> and I think it is a, I think, I think it's massive. And I think it's huge. Right? And even to the point that you see the Jews that were there, he came into his own. And his own what? received him not the big difference is this right here look church the big difference is do you believe in jesus or not and and i i say this just getting started hey uh, this is the foundation for everything if you want to live a life that is pleasing to the lord you will accept him he is the foundation we're going to get there the son the logos Showing my hand there, right? Returns all authority to the Father. John will later speak of Jesus acquiring glory he has previously possessed. In John 17, we're just looking forward a little bit here. John 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. This is very consistent with the prologue. Jesus absolutely laid it down and became a man. That just, look, as we read and study John, this is going to blow our minds together. That our God, look, our God was 100% God, but 100% man. He knows exactly what you're going through. Let's read it again, John 1, 1 1-3, as we descend the plane. The landing strip here. In the beginning was the what, and the was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. The big connection here it is for me: the Logos equals Jesus, the Word equals Jesus. John one fourteen. John shows His hand. You ready? Looking ahead to verse fourteen. The word, the logos, became what? There it is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, who he will later say, Lord, I want you to reveal my glory to them. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only who? Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The meaning of logos in the gospel of John, the leading use of logos in its unique sense occurs in the opening chapters of John's gospel. This is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. This chapter introduces the idea that Jesus is the word, the word that existed prior to creation, the word that exists in connection to God, the word that is God, the word that became human, cohabited with people and possessed a glory that can only be described as the glory of God. As the Gospel of John never uses logos in this unique technical manner again after the first chapter and never explicitly says that the logos is Jesus, many have speculated that the word prologue prologue, predates the Gospel in a form of an earlier hymn or liturgy. However, there is little evidence for this, and attempts to recreate the hymn are highly speculative. While there are multiple uh, multitude of theories for why the gospel writer selected the Logos concept word, the clear emphasis of the opening of the gospel and entrance of the word into the world is cosmological, reflecting the opening of Genesis chapter 1. And I concur with this. Watch this. The case for Jesus is so unbelievably strong. No other ancient philosophy can stand against it and prevail. Not one. Not one. In that modern day and age, modern day and age, on the cusp of wisdom that was changing everything, and philosophers, and mathematicians, not one could stand against Jesus. He wrecked every one of their thought processes. Wrecked them. Absolutely destroyed them. Annihilated them. Took the beginnings or the good parts of every one of them and fulfilled them. And he did it as a homeless evangelist walking around. <laughs> have you thought about it? He didn't come in majesty and say, crown me. He didn't come and take over and use his powers like I would have. Let me tell you something. If I was a god and I came down, I'd have been like, Bzz. I'd have been like, you don't want me in that position. It would have been great. It would have been great. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Death, another one of those words that was personified. The underworld, the place where Hades was reigning, right? In that sense, he subjected himself to the essence of humanity. Did not rise above it as they even, we'll see in Palm Sunday here in a few weeks, as they tried to crown him king, he knew his purpose. And he knew why he was here. He was absolutely God, though. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. No question about it. He was there before the foundation of the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Do you believe that, church? I got three things for you this morning. Number one, God has always been. Do you believe that, church? Come on, somebody say amen? amen. God has always been. Number one, God has always been. Say it with me. God has always been. Always. What is John getting at in the first three verses as we embark on this study together? He, he's trying to, he's, he's telegraphing it. He's saying, hey, I, I want to get this party started. I'm about, I, I'm about to graduate to the Isle of Patmos, and I don't think I'm coming back. I'm in my 80s. I'm going to write this now. I'm going to give you the perspective of, of everything that I have to offer the church. And here it is. God has always been. Oh, my goodness gracious. John shows the existence of God before any other thing. Number two, God created everything, and there is nothing that exists that wasn't created by God. Did you see it? Did you read it with me in verse three? Everything means what? Everything Everything means what? Great job. (laughs) Everything was, it means everything. There's nothing that surprises God. God created everything, and there is nothing that exists that wasn't created by God. What if there's aliens? I hope there are. Once again, let's go back to the previous. Let's go back to the previous uh, joke that I told a minute ago. If I was God, right, that whole thing, whatever that was. If I was God, I would create aliens. I mean, wouldn't you? I would be like, watch this. <laughs> I'd be like, hey y'all, check this out. Look what I made. Maybe like. In the cylinder, driving around. I'd be like, yes! I mean, this is amazing! Look what I can do! That's why you don't want me being God, right? I'd be like, yes, this is awesome. God can create aliens if he wants to create aliens. I'm sure he didn't call them aliens. Have you read the Bible? There's some funky-looking creatures in there. Y'all are worried about a a little slimy green thing with big eyes? And I'm like, I'm worried about the thing that looks like a lion with ingles' wings. You know what I'm saying? My kids last night, we were watching that uh, Percy Jackson series on Disney Plus. Anybody watch that yet? That thing is terrifying. Holy cow. Last night, all three of them uh, were knocking at the bedroom door. Can we sleep in here? Can we sleep in here, Mom and Dad? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you got a Belgian Malinois right here. What are you worried about? You can sleep out here with a dog in the hallway. I ain't gonna shoot. You ain't sleeping in here. Get out of here. Just kidding. They all slept in my room. It was terrifying. I was like, man, this, and this is like based on Greek mythology, right? And I'm like, <laughs> this is similar to when people talk about like what they watch and what they don't watch and standards and, and, I, and I get it, right? Not everything is age appropriate and you shouldn't watch some of these crazy things. But once again, I say, have you read the Bible? Right. There's a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible. Stuff that you don't want to read your kids before bedtime. <laughs> Stay in the safe zone right? I'm going to read you a proverb before bed, right? Not where jail drove a nail through the head of a male. You know what I'm saying? It happened. It's rough. There's some crazy things. Anyway, my point is, is like, we're so like, look, we are sheeple. (laughs) Do you like that? Who cares if there's aliens? The government is like, this is great. (laughs) We're going to tell them aliens exist and we can control them. Whatever. It's like that that movie, Don't Look Up, right? They're always people, people, enemies, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. They're always going to try to leverage things to control people, right? Here's what kills that. You ready? Here's what kills it. There's nothing on this planet or anywhere else that God hasn't created. You know what that should do for you? (sighs) Now, it doesn't mean that you go walking up to the mountain line and say, God created you. (laughs) That thing's going to eat you. (laughs) That'll be the last day on earth that you live. That thing's going to eat you for lunch. It doesn't mean that there aren't dangerous things. It just means that I don't have to question my entire existence. Because John John says this, your existence is predicated on God, not aliens. What is wrong with us? (laughs) (laughs) Calm down. Number one, number one, God has always been. Number two, God created everything. And there's nothing that exists that wasn't created by God. I'll have questions for him, right? Some people, I'm like, why'd you create them, Lord? (laughs) Just kidding. Number three, was I talking, was he talking about me? Yes, I absolutely was. And so was everybody else thinking about you. (laughs) Number three, the Logos was God and was with God in the beginning. The Trinity has always existed. Come on up, whoever's singing for invitation. The Trinity has always existed in a community of the Godhead. And Jesus is the Logos, the member of the Godhead that became a man. To quote our previous study, hopefully this like really intersects with what we have studied in Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, remember this? Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times in different ways. And these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir to all things and made the universe through who? Through him. That is exactly what John is saying. Do you see it? Maybe John wrote Hebrews. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. John's goal for our study is that all will believe that Jesus is God. Hey, We're we're just, we're showing it. We're, We're showing the cards. John's goal for our study is that all will believe that Jesus is God. John 21, this is the last two verses. Are you ready? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down, who know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did Which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Somebody say amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The point of this study is that all will believe that Jesus is God. I'll ask you this morning. Church, do you believe that Jesus is God? If you don't believe Jesus is God, I'll invite you to believe in him this morning. John just comes right out and says it. He was in the beginning. Everything that we know to be true about Jesus, you know, historically what we see in the scripture, he came for you and for me. He lived a perfect life because we could not. He took your sins upon himself. We sang about it in the second song. By his stripes, we are healed. By his touch, with one touch, we're made whole. Church, do you believe in Jesus? Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments. Send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.